Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. And remember, what's happening in Vegas is not staying in Vegas, as I bring you helpful tips and all sorts of topic areas, with a Vegas twist of course. So let's get the show started. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's good to have you in for another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. I have a great show for you today, and it is the 50th episode. Yes, that's right. It's nifty to be 50, and I couldn't have done it without you. I really appreciate everyone out there who sends me messages of encouragement, whether it be email or text, and just lets me know how much they appreciate the show and that it's helping them in their lives or they're impacted by a topic or something really touched them. So I really appreciate that. It helps me to keep going, keep making the podcast and coming up with different topics to try to help anybody and everybody that I can. So just bear with me if I haven't done a topic that you're waiting for. Uh, just email me, Facebook message me, give me a poke and I'll and I'll try to try to get that that on for you. So uh, so just to go over that. Um, you can you can email me at thevegastherapist at gmail.com. You can also join the Vegas Therapist podcast group on Facebook, uh, which would be great too because you can connect with other people as well as myself on there. And I also give updates and articles and, and things of that nature as well. So it's a great site for other information. And it, like I said, it's a way of connecting with me too. There's also my website, thevegastherapist.com. And you can look on there as well. And I do offer coaching for people. So if you're looking for a little bit more one-on-one instruction, um, there's that available as well. So I do have a great show for you today. I have a wonderful guest. Pam Hagee is with me today to talk about her story and her challenges with loss and the struggles that she's faced with that, but also her therapy story and how she's on a path of healing and just wants to share that with everybody. I really appreciate her willingness to do that. Um, Sometimes there's still that stigma attached with therapy and talking about it or even going to therapy or talking about the fact that you go to therapy, whichever side that's on. But uh, she's definitely one that speaks out and lets people know that she's on this path and is really... um, a a trooper and a warrior in that in that process so i do want to make mention that the audio around 36 to 38 minute mark um, is a little spotty but kind of bear with it this is technology zoom doing things over zoom you really rely on your internet connection and sometimes that can get a little glitchy but i think it i kept it in there because i thought there was enough i listened to it there's enough of clarity to kind of get what Pam was saying. And I think some of the things she said in there were really important. So I did leave it in. So it, it only goes from about minute 36 to around 38. Um, and after that, it clears up again. So, um, so just kind of bear with it. There is that little spot in there, but other than that, it's a great interview and a lot of great things that Pam shared and that we talked about. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right. This time I'd like to welcome in my guest. Pam Hagee to the show. Pam, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you. Um, just a little bit about Pam and I's connection. Um, we did kind of grow up, I was going to say in the same town, but not really the same town, same area. Um, so, and her oldest brother, Kimball, and I are, well, he's one of my closest friends and her brother Boyd, who we will talk about later, is another one of, was another one of my good friends. Um, but a few weeks ago, Pam had 
uh, written a post on Facebook that I really appreciated. She's an advocate for mental health and for therapy. So that's always good when you find somebody like that. You want to harness that and get them on the show and have them talk about things because <laughs> they're, they're, they're willing to talk. So that's, that's a good thing. So anyway, um, one of the things that kind of stood out too uh, in her post on social media was that she is being open about her therapy story and kind of what brought her to therapy and kind of some of the things that she's uh, working on in her process. And like I said, I just kind of wanted to uh, get that because I know that there's some things that she can share that will be helpful to others. And um, I know she's been working hard on on working on things. So that's that's really good to see too. So, um, so Pam, without further ado, if you could kind of just give the audience a little bit of background and kind of share your, I guess, just share your story. Uh, that's kind of your, I guess, your therapy story and kind of sure. where you're at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not nervous at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll just convince myself. So, yeah, my story is, um, and it's funny because I kind of refer to it as, as trauma now. Um, I just have a lot of grief in my background, and it's one thing I've learned now is that, that that was trauma, and that actually was like one of the first things, identifying my grief as actual trauma was one of the first like aha moments. So I guess my trauma story is almost the way I look at it now. Um, in 2007, when I was um, seven months pregnant with our first son and I was 24, my brother Boyd, my second oldest brother, you mentioned, he was 30 and he went into sudden cardiac arrest and passed away later that day. So that was sudden, um, took the whole family by storm. To Canada, two months later had our first baby. And so that was the first, I guess, introduction with grief for me. And then in 2013, so about six years later, um, it was my fourth pregnancy. I'd had two more boys, so my fourth pregnancy at 24 weeks and five days, I had them very prematurely and um, they both passed away. The first one, Shepherd, at three days old and then, sorry, Deacon was first at three days old and then Shepherd was six days old. So, so that definitely, at this point, we had just moved back home to Cartston. We were living in a in a house that had cement floors and studs. We had no walls, no kitchen, no bedrooms. Sounds so comforting. That, yeah. <laughs> so that happened. That that was in the span of a week, and we came home back basically to like completely upside down life. And then, so that about six years following exactly, I feel like it's kind of a six-year curse at this point, is when my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So he lived 11 months and, and passed away in, basically he was diagnosed in 2018, passed away just before the end of 2018. So, so yeah, it, I made it honestly a little shockingly to that year. It was 2019 in the wake of my dad passing that I finally got therapy and, and realized why wouldn't I get help? <laughs> if there was something that could be helpful, why wouldn't I go give that a try? Right. So why do you think, what do you think that, I mean, just kind of maybe growing up, I know we 
again, we kind of grew up in the same area, just maybe with that mindset of just, you got to tough it out and do it yourself. I mean, or what was kind of blocking you from that, do you think? So it's interesting how different, um, it, so, so Boyd, for starters, I don't think we were even aware. I know we weren't. No one in my whole family was even aware of how, like, actually wounded we all were and how it was already starting to affect our relationships with each other and our relationships with everyone around us really. And cause yes, that's exactly what you do. You just keep going. It's like, you know, you know, they're in a better place, like every they're happier. So let's just, let's all just be happy. And, <laughs> and that's kind of what you pretend to do cause, cause it kind of works and you don't really know what else to do. There's, there's no book that tells you how to grieve. A loved one and how to properly do it so that you stay mentally healthy right yeah maybe there's a book i didn't <laughs> i mean there's books but yeah i mean i think even when the books they say like everybody grieves differently so there's always they i think sometimes that's like another classic science like well everybody's different everybody's you know whatever which is true yes. but obviously there's still a process that you have to go through and 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 still kind right. of like even if it's just like the five stages of grief you still have to be mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe being aware of like, where am I in this? And kind of how does that, how is that affecting me? And like you said, so just curious, like when you talk about like, you know, kind of being aware of the wounding, even with Boyd's passing and uh, like, how did you see that? Maybe even looking back, like how was that impacting? I guess you kind of like the family and stuff like that. So looking back, um, we like even just the logistics of a loved one passing like trying to figure out an estate and planning a funeral and then even attempting like your first get together as a family without him and like dinners and just the logistics of what how does your family keep being a family mm -hmm. so we weren't aware of like i really just wish we'd been able to get therapy as a family honestly but like that's just not it isn't the culture right like it just yeah. isn't and right. and so i think a lot of our own pain got projected on each other for and mm. and and we're a very honest and open family too we're very straightforward we're, we talk about our feelings we don't we don't hold back so i think in a sense maybe like at least there's that that was probably healthy to get some things out but then yeah it just that's kind of what you do when you're when you're hurting. Sometimes you just kind of fling that hurt. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too is just even understanding the idea of complex grief, um, mm -hmm. because it's complex when you know, especially from a parent standpoint, when a young right. child dies before their time or whatever. You know, even though I mean, Boyd was thirty. Not I mean, right. he's young, but like you know, just the idea of that happening too. I mean, even from a parental standpoint that throws you into a funk and then, you know, losing a sibling at a young age too is, is definitely difficult. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, all those parameters and stuff, it, it really, I guess, until you're in it, you don't really realize, yeah, what the impact is going to be. So it's, and it's you're a, living your life separate for the most mm -hmm. part. And then when you get together, it's like, Oh yeah. He's yeah. Not and then it's like, Oh yeah, I'm really sad about that. But you can almost put it on a shelf right. when you're away from each other. So then, it like tests you twice as hard because you don't deal with it so much when you're away and then you all come together and it's like all of a sudden right in your face that he's not there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's big. It's big. Okay. So, so kind of as in, then 
maybe just starting yeah. to get through that and then now right. having basically yeah that having... led into the twins <clears throat> So with the twins, um, what was interesting about them is since I mentioned, like we had just moved to this unfinished house and since like it's Canada, I had maternity leave. So I had 12 weeks leave from work and then they actually let me go on sick leave. So I ended up getting about 10 months leave and Derek didn't have a job yet. <clears throat> he was just subbing as a teacher. He was graduated, but wasn't hired. So Derek is her husband. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just in case cool. we didn't write it right. right. <laughs> yeah. So interestingly enough, like we ni neither of us had jobs <laughs> and mm -hmm. it was okay because we actually didn't, um, the bank didn't let us buy the house because it wasn't finished. It sounds insane when I look back, but we didn't own the house. And so we didn't even actually have the mortgage because of it. And we had rented out our other house. So just the finances and the job perspective, life worked out that we could basically just barely cover the bills and just stay home and be with each other and just grieve and just be a family. We didn't have to like, I, I say it now, we didn't have to like go out into the world and operate machinery. <laughs> like we got to just be us and we didn't have to like navigate any other relationships with like coworkers, people, family, like it was just me and him. And our kids were ages like, five, three, and one, our boys, almost two, four, and six. So, so we only had one in kindergarten at the time and half day. Like it was such a simple, easy existence. Um, we didn't even, we didn't go to church. We didn't get the mail. We didn't, <laughs> we really gave ourselves the permission to just be sad and grieve. And we talked and talked and talked. He mostly listened. I mostly <laughs> talked. <laughs> But it's funny because I almost feel like I processed everything for us. Like he listened to it and that was like what he needed because he didn't, we didn't know how, like we definitely probably both should have been in therapy, but we figured it out. We had about four to five straight months of that with just each other. And so, right. so I think that's what hit me so hard after my dad, because my kids were like, here we are like five, six years later, we're established. He's working. I'm working you don't go on sick leave. Like I actually, now that I think about it, I probably could have, but it doesn't cross your mind. Like with the twins, I'd had a baby. So I was on maternity leave already. Like it had made sense with that pregnancy. But so I'm working full time. I have like more than one job and he's, he's working full time and the kids are in things. And here we are like operating machinery when yeah. we should be is basically what it felt like. Right. And that was just a recipe for disaster. And, and life was just, there was triggers everywhere. I was like so high and then I'd go so low and I didn't feel like I was in control of anything other than like my job and the, those few things that I could like easily mark my, my progress with. So I threw myself into these, into these coping strategies that was, they were helping me function and I was functioning, but it wasn't it wasn't fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I didn't, I just felt very out of control. I felt like there was triggers everywhere and it would just send me solo for days. So yeah, I needed help. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So one of the things that you said in there too, and in, and maybe even this is kind of where it, like, I mean, you talked about the notion of like having that time and using that time to talk through and stuff. 
I was thinking back, even like when you talked about Boyd passing away and even in, in kind of normal life, that's probably our biggest challenge is like giving ourselves space or holding that space for time to grieve rather than just kind of moving through life and just kind of letting life be our whatever healing process, which doesn't really work. It's because you do have to kind of hold space for that and be able to allow yourself to talk through it or whatever it might be. So then, but even with that, like you said, even with that time, now you kind of like emerge into the real world and now here's all this other stuff, right? These triggers and things that, that still are going to come or be a part of it, even though you've given yourself that time to, you know, grieve and talk through it and really express yourself. I mean, what was, how did you respond to triggers at that point prior to therapy? Was it, was it just, like you said, the, just the high emotions, the lows, all that kind of stuff. It just sort of took you from one end of the spectrum to the other and that was kind of it or what was the well i always say that grief takes your like your weaknesses your in not your in well your insecurities for sure too but it takes like it like for me um i can get like very fired up and so it takes your your weaknesses and it lights them on fire <laughs> and <laughs> like times them by about a hundred so like if you're like if you're if you have a little bit of a temper say right like then yeah. you're gonna rage if you're the type of person that feels sad easily, you're going to be like 10 times that feeling of sadness will overwhelm. Like I, for me, it just, it lit that fierceness in me on mm -hmm. fire. And I would just like, I would just, I would, in a sense rage, it wasn't necessarily like a temper rage, but um, I would feel like my brain was burning mm -hmm. sometimes how I would try to physically describe it. And I f would feel like it would eat me a lot night long. <laughs> I, I would lay awake and my brain, because it's the middle of the night, right? And you're kind of slipping in and out of that like state where you're almost losing control of what you do know to be true still. Yeah. And that the, we the vulnerability sort of takes over and my brain would just, it would just yell at me like everything you're worried about is true. Like, you know, they really don't like you and that type of thing. And they do think you're way too like fierce and like these vulnerabilities then become these things you're also self-conscious of. It's right. like, can everybody see, do they think I'm like a spaz now? Like for, that was my personal battle. Right. Yeah. So I would no. tear myself down. Right. So, yeah. and obviously at this point you haven't, done anything are you thinking at this point like hey i maybe could get some help or is that still like that yeah. something here that's you know like I, I thought about wanting to do therapy for probably six months before i actually did it because uh -huh. just the process it's so it's just so unfortunate that when you need therapy it's when you're unstable it's when you're overwhelmed and you're not coping well and you feel like you can't function. And so it's like, how am I supposed to choose the right therapist when <laughs> and go out in, in the world and find, and then it, it's expensive. Like the, the insurance just doesn't even cover the whole cost. And so yeah. it's a tough thing to navigate and get from, from wanting therapy to having a therapist is right. it's hard. It took me some time. Yeah. 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 yeah a couple sessions ago I had Theo Fleury on as a guest and that was one thing he said about in Canada he said it feels like the therapists have kind of priced themselves out of the market and it's really hard to even afford it you know for people and stuff so that's sad to hear that it, it, it makes it even more of a challenge to not be able to 
um, right. get the help when you need it based on an expense thing versus like a need, you know, or a desire exactly. to want it. So, yeah. Um, part of the healthcare system. It's just as, just as important. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay. So now we're kind of moving through and you're getting to the point. So, so now, you know, um, not necessarily that, I mean, loss or death is ever fully behind us, but as you're starting to work through it now, coming upon dad gets diagnosed with cancer. So now it uh, timeline wise sort of take us through that part then. So what's interesting is I'd actually started to feel like life was getting, I remember thinking like, Oh, this is how, cause I had um, two more children after the twins. And uh -huh. so your first baby after loss is called your rainbow baby. And he was, he just oozed rainbows and sunshine and everything that's good. So well, that's good. <laughs> that was a lot of, there was a lot of healing with that. And mm -hmm. I actually had him a year after the twins. So that, that for me was good to, to be able to have him so soon. And then we had another, or we had a little girl finally, the rest were boys. And then, yeah, so those, there was kind of about a year after the rainbow baby. So I would say full two years from when we lost the twins was a lot of struggle. And, and especially that year, the first year was just a lot of darkness. And then we had about two and a half years of like, things were feeling normal relationships for us. were feeling healthy and good with like, you know, more than, than just ourselves. And that's another thing. Luckily me and Derek have just, we've just always had a solid marriage. And so that's just thankfully not been the struggle. And so that's definitely was a huge difference for us, but. Yeah. Cause a lot of these things can tear couples apart for sure. Right. right? Yeah. And that's another thing. Like, I just think being home together, like there was no way for him to go to work or be in a different setting and grieve differently because we were together. And so we sort of had to grieve the same since we spent so much time and he was renovating the house and we were, we were working that way. And that was, we just did it together. And so it bonded us instead of figuring out this path on our own, which yeah. I know you can do, but it definitely, if you can bond over it, that's a silver lining. Oh yeah, for sure. That's yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember what point I was at. Oh, there was a couple, a good couple of years. And then, yeah, from the thing with cancer to the diagnosis is its own event. Cause it feels like they're already passed away. Like they're like a terminal is like a sentence, right? It just feels like looming. Yeah. So there's, and that, so there was about 11 months and that's just like, you know, <laughs> it's the only thing about cancer is at the end of it, you're actually relieved because nobody should have to live like that. So when he passed away, it was like, there was this like brief sense of finally he's not suffering. And then just like a solid year of just, yeah, it was me. It was me coping when I look back now, just trying to drown myself and being busy and accomplishing in other areas because there was nothing like you can't control it. You can't, you lose all control that you thought you had and that we'd worked so hard to build after the twins. It just felt like that it was too much. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I don't know if you want to touch on this a little bit, you know, but too, I mean, obviously, um, you know, it, it's probably hard to convey a sense of like the, the, who your dad was to you and kind of right. what he meant. Um, 
and just obviously people that are listening that know Freddie, um, obviously maybe could put that together a little bit more so, but can you put that into words at all just for people? Yeah, well, and for me too, like it's it's different. Luckily, thankfully, we had moved back to Cartston. And mm -hmm. so we, and so he lives just five minutes down the road. And um, <laughs> you're really testing me. I know, I know. I, I'm feeling it too, though, because I, again, this part's a little bit close to home for me as well. So, mm -hmm. so. So he's just one of those guys that involves himself in the community and he worked in the community. He was a contractor. So between how much he served with the church and volunteered his time, especially his skills construction wise, like just logistically speaking, he's everywhere all over the town. Like everywhere you look, there's something he built or worked on or donated or just, and people that, that he served with or, and, and then he served on the County for eight years. Don't, don't ask me why he loved that so much. <laughs> Community politics sounds a little painful to me, but right. yeah, he just loved it. He loved serving his community and he just like got so much satisfaction out of those types of things. And, and yeah, he drove by my house multiple times a day. I knew exactly what his truck sounded like when he was pulling in and, and because we were so close and handy and easy, convenient, he, he did grow close with my boys. So yeah, he sort of had become like our, our person. I feel like sometimes, you know, like everyone loves everyone, the whole thing, like my, my mom, everybody, all the, all the aunts, uncles, everyone loves each other the same. But when you, you get lucky enough to have someone in your life more, just logistically speaking from where you live, it's just a, just a special kind of bond that that man sucks not to have <laughs> and there's just this void yeah. like yeah with Boyd I remember thinking like when I went back to Pittsburgh it was so crazy because it was like he never existed there and so it was almost in a sense mm -hmm. like you could just take it and pretend some days that like nothing had changed and you you wouldn't you, nobody was going to see you can go to the grocery store it didn't matter if you nobody was going to look at you and know exactly what just happened in your life and you know like how's she doing and that was really hard for me after the twins too to to be going through this like traumatic tragedy and to have every single person in your life around you know and kind of almost you're, you're kind of living their worst nightmare, right? It's everyone's worst yeah. nightmare to have something like that happen. And so they're just, they want to know how you're doing. And, and it's, it's very like, it's okay. And, and that's the, with my dad, like there's no escaping. It's good and it's bad. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, lots of reminders slash if they could be triggers or whatever, but lots yeah. of stuff to, but it, I mean, I, I guess in a healing way, there can also be a sense of like legacy and, and, right. and turning that into a positive as well too, to where it's like, he was obviously a really good person. And like you said, served the community well. So there's a lot to be yeah. appreciative of from that standpoint too. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So something I think I heard you say, not now, but maybe it was something you read or, or something you wrote um, that that though was kind of the tipping point for you though, right? Right. Your dad passing, that was sort of the tipping point yeah. and kind of, right? Is that? Without a doubt. Yep. Um, it, it just, I actually feel like, and I've always been a little bit like, yeah, with, with the twins, I really feel like we, it was kind of a miracle to figure that out how we did and to have made 
past that. And, and we always like, I, now that I've learned a lot of things too, it's almost like amazing. Like I look back and we did things that I think like therapists would even have recommended at the time. Like we always just naturally acknowledged their existence and talked about them all the time. And, um, we celebrated their, the day they were born. We just like, um, one thing that we did is I always wanted to frame the pictures of us holding them basically while they were passing away when they <clears throat> removed the tubes, mm -hmm. um, the breathing tubes. And, and it's like, Pam, why do you want to put up these terribly hurtful pictures in on the walls of your home? Like, are you crazy? And, and I doubted it for probably a good couple of years. Well, no, I, I doubted sharing it. I put them up after about a year. And then I, I, I was almost, I wasn't ashamed, but I was almost afraid of people seeing that these pictures were up. Right. And, kind of judgment, maybe. Right. That's just not yeah. normal. It's not what you do. You usually don't take your saddest, most devastating moment of your life and frame it <laughs> on your wall. Right. And, and so, and I'm not even sure I understood it, but looking back, we really had a lot of, um, I'm very, I've been very good at giving myself permission to feel whatever I needed to feel, even just with not going to church. Like mm. that's, that's overwhelming for a lot of people in the midst of grief, but they, they couldn't give themselves that permission to just right. stay home for a bit. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. Like I was surprised there was definitely a little bit of backlash, <laughs> but for me it was what I needed. And I was, so I was good at giving myself that permission and that gave Derek the permission and the whole family. And like, and looking back, I think framing those pictures, it's definitely, it's helped. I don't even know what they call it, but it's that like, um, desensitizing the trauma, right? Like yeah. looking at it over and over and, and now it's just, Oh, look, that's the pictures that we have of our two sons. They're the only pictures we have. So now it's just great to have pictures on the wall of them and they're not, they're not near as hard to look at. And if anything, they're, they're loving for me. That's, that's, kind of became my thing that those pictures were, were actually full of love and so that's what I see when I look at them now and and that's what the family sees and that was a lot of very big healing thing for us so well I think too I, I I've done the, a podcast on this before about grief and I think one of the things that I talk about in that there's a book called finding meaning and it's the the subtitles the sixth stage of grief and I think for me that's what that looks like to me right. is just more about the meaning part Yes, it's some desensitization, but it's also just finding meaning in the loss to where there's that significance of like, okay, this is for us. I mean, it is a part of our story. It's a part of our family. It's something that we, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, it's something that is, is you know, it's it's a part of us. And so we, we want to see that in a more, like you said, positive light and try to um, have it be something that can be more um, sustaining for us rather than devastating or bringing us down or whatever type of thing. So it's turning that into that versus just letting it be this constant kind of pull down, I guess. Right. I think it's, it's amazing that with the right amount of mental work, and like you said at the beginning, she's been doing a lot of work. I'm like, that's exactly what it feels like. It's not, it's not therapy is a good time. <laughs> it's not right. perfect time. <laughs> Call Ryan. <laughs> it's therapy is well, you'll have a good time too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is true yeah it, it's hard it, it's like if anything and I was I was kind of making just like a few notes and yeah like it's you it's not like to learn how to stop feeling emotions or being so emotional if anything it's just let's 
let's start to see clear. That's what I feel like for me. Let's, let's feel different emotions and move on from those emotions and start processing and, and moving somewhere instead of staying stuck, which is definitely what I would say. I, I felt like it was with, with my dad and I didn't have these natural instincts to what to do. I felt like a fish out of water, honest. Like I, it was so different from the twins. Like it was, it's like, yeah, grief is not grief even to the same person. Like it was losing a different person at a different age with a different relationship. And you can't even like compare the two, honestly, like it's just insane. Differently, It hurt and, and affected my life and my relationships and my abilities to just like remain at like an even keel. So, right. So that's been huge for me. It was just that, that main feeling basically of just no self-control over, over my, like my evenness, like how to be able to stay peaceful there. I didn't have control over my own peace at all. Right. Well, I think that's interesting. Just kind of what you said too. So I mean, for you, okay. So I've lost a sibling. I've lost two, you know, children. And then now a parent. So it's like, if, you know, if you want any, have any, uh, any insider understanding called Pam, right? Cause it's like, you've <laughs> yeah. got the gamut on all, but I think that's a good point as far as like, just, you know, the, like where that person fits into your life, the relationship, the dynamic that those are all factors in as far as like how the grief sits for you, what it means. I mean, especially from a parent standpoint, like, how much of a foundation were they, how much of a support were they, you know, and then to lose that, what that then now means to you. And like you said, where do you pick up the pieces or how does that, how do you see yourself moving through that when maybe that was somebody used to go to for counsel or advice or whatever it is. Um, now that's, that's gone. So it's, there's, yeah, just a lot of different things. Well, for me, it was, it was, one thing I did know was that like at least like a year would do a lot for me that type Mm. of thing two years would do a lot like I do know that there's I don't know I just sometimes think that's the way life is set up it's like the time it doesn't it doesn't heal but it makes it bearable it makes it doable it helps you you get back to being able to function more normally and it's not so overwhelming so I I knew that was going to help but I don't think and I see now that because I didn't just grieve and feel the sadness and do nothing else, but just grieve like I did with the twins, I realized I was coping and it was keeping me in this holding pattern of not moving past the grief. And so it's almost like a year hasn't like, it's been a year and a half now. And, and I would say like, it feels like, it still feels like a couple of weeks just in the sense of, of my brain still feels like it's on fire most days. Like, Mm. And until you can start addressing, it's not even so much the actual like void of him being gone. It's the state that my emotions and that my like ability to function is in now. And that's what I'm, that's what I want back. Right. <laughs> I want to somehow be able to, to just, to navigate the, the relationships that, that light my brain on fire so that I can just sleep again (laughs) type thing. So it's not even just like the actual void, like there's that sadness and then Mm. there's ability to function. And so, and I don't know, they probably are just super tied together, but, but I'm that type of person. I just want to like, I can't quit my, my jobs. (laughs) So how do you figure out how to grieve in the middle of like a busy high functioning, like life? 
I guess. Yeah. Like. Right. Right. Because, and I think that goes back to what I said before. It's like, how do we hold space for that or find space for it in the midst of just the, I mean, yeah. raising a family, working, all the different yeah. things that are kind of pulling at us. How do we make space for that? Uh, it definitely can become a challenge, but then, and we'll kind of maybe jump into this or shift into this too, is just that, and, and you're doing that or trying to do that and then maybe avoid other negative patterns that have kind of besought you or, or attached themselves to you as a result of trauma. Yeah. So now like another thing that you mentioned, and maybe, I don't know if this is a good time to go into the, the post that you made about the being like the trauma was obvious, right? That you knew that there was issues with trauma, yeah. but the fight or flight mode that you were in yeah. and how long you'd been in it and stuff, you said that that wasn't as obvious and the awareness of that. So that's the other thing too, is we're kind of going along. Yeah. Time can heal, but we also have to have, be, you know, conscious and aware of the patterns that we're in and the things that maybe how those patterns can be destructive. So I don't know if you can talk a little bit about your fight or flight or kind of what that meant for you. Yeah. Um, someone just walked in. <laughs> might be my mom. Is she going to make an appearance on the... Oh. It is. Oh, it's Leah. <laughs> Sorry, it's just my sister. Right. Um, Another guest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yes, on the podcast. So she really... I actually haven't even... That was... um. That she's probably one of... They finally started therapy, so I should give her that credit. Oh, nice. Nice. She definitely... Yeah. In my life. Um, the fight is yes fire you're burning <laughs> it feels like it's burning and you kind of light things on fire that's what i felt like i was doing i was going around lighting other relationships there and um like i i'm like kind of first part of your question i'm like moment leah made me forget what relationship like were you Um, I guess, sorry, we're breaking up just a little bit, but I think one of the things I was saying about the, was the fight or flight was just like, you kind of noticed, I mean, your, your trauma part was very obvious, yeah. but then the fight or flight was more like you weren't aware of necessarily that pattern in your life. And so just kind of, you know, what helped you to be aware of that? And then what did that look like as you maybe look back on like that? Kind of the thing? So I was basically self-destruct. So the. I would feel like on fire. Feel like um, I would just let myself burn. I would just it's true. Like you are just and the vulnerabilities really have been there. And I'll I'll get there because I know you want to talk about it. I found them. I got to the bottom of them. I feel like through EMDR, and which is why I finally tried it as well because I had I didn't start out with that, but I I wanted to get to them of why did I, why did I knew that the things people thought or misunderstood about me but would just completely unravel me. And it's like, what does this do with grief and my dad and sadness? Like my mad that somebody like wrong perceptions about me and, and why is that? ruining my like peace <laughs> and taking over my life and it's probably someone that doesn't even and right there it's because in oh, the switch that i've had to like really 
accept. And that's definitely been like my journey, I would say, this summer is figuring out where the patterns were starting to make me self-destruct. I was hate and waiting before beating up and and it just was completely like drowning me and overwhelming me and and no chance at the relationships that had kind of maybe been and they made me feel basically like a pilot <laughs> and they being triggered couldn't like or think about just feeling like I was were possibly true and maybe I just didn't like see it. Oh, yeah, self-destruction. These patterns of self-destruction big time. Yeah, the therapies helped me realize the triggers and um, so with the air we kind of got them for me was that that's my my vulnerability is that I'm a hard personality to love and that not that I'm not worthy of love, but that I'm just like the abrasive overconfidence, which is a trait that you're familiar with. But um, just kind of like as a, as a, even as a woman who's not afraid to talk about her feelings on the internet, like that some people and, and that became triggers that, that people didn't love us, that people thought I was too, but wanted me to have less feelings and stop having any feeling um it was kind of it was, it was weird yeah can i pause you for just for one sec yeah all right so if there was some confusion there i think one of the things pam was just talking about was just her pattern of self-destruction and from and she mentioned the emdr and doing that and that's something that i just recently was trained in and so one of the things that i was curious about that and, and she kind of mentioned this is that in EMDR, you kind of have this notion of categorizing, um, I guess, the outcome of your trauma and kind of what that puts you into. And so there's like the responsibility defective, defectiveness category where you can kind of feel this sense of not feeling good enough. Then there's like safety and vulnerability where I don't feel safe. So therefore, maybe I put these guards up or I kind of protect myself in certain ways or like a power and control dynamic where maybe at times we feel powerless or we don't feel like we have power in our lives. And so I think you were saying like yours was more in that vulnerability area where it was like, I just was kind of, is that what you? Yeah. I was just basically at the mercy of, of my, like my own vulnerabilities. And uh -huh. my sister always says like, you can't heal what you can't name. Right. And until you can start to see, well, why am I self-destructing that way? then you stop beating yourself up for self-destructing and you realize, oh, it's, it's because I've like, that's definitely what the EMDR, like it just it, like woke me up to the things that, yeah, that does make sense. As a child, I actually did kind of feel a little bit that way, but, and it's nothing about like going back to your childhood and, and like laying blame anywhere. It's just realizing that like as humans, everybody has different experiences and those experiences kind of leave you equipped or unequipped in different ways. And, and so learning maybe like just becoming, learning what to refer to them and just to see them, just to know they, they exist just a little bit. And it's like, it is, it's self-reflection and it's self-awareness, but in like a beautiful way that gives you back the control 
that you that you've lost. Right. Well, and I think it's important, like you just said, because um, you know, even in some of the EMDR books I've been reading, I mean, one of the things it says is that um, even in the most supportive families, trauma can occur, and it has nothing to do with even sometimes the the families or what they're doing or not doing. It's just it's just the realization that as young people, children, whatever, you know, we're processing these memories in our own way. And sometimes the memories get processed in a, in a maladaptive way, which then leads to further problems or dysfunction or whatever it might be. Yeah. So it doesn't, all, like you said, it's not always a laying blame thing. It's more about understanding and trying to just figure things out from, I mean, from whether it's like, hey, where I fit into the family, if I'm the youngest, if I'm the oldest, I'm whatever, and different things like that. Possible to not right. <laughs> to escape unscathed without something like, especially in a big family, but I'm sure small families too, any families at all, you're going to learn things. You're going to pick up things that, and maybe I often think like, what would I be like without the trauma? And this was huge too. Like I would start to, I would start to feel like if nobody had passed away, like would I be, would, would, would I make a better first impression? <laughs> you know, like would I, would I not seem as jaded as I sometimes am? And, and so, yeah, you can beat yourself up those ways and you start to wonder. Um, if, and if you don't realize how the things are affecting you, then, then you will, you'll just, um, I, I always feel like there's the trauma, there's the initial trauma, and then there's the emotional stuff that you're left with the aftermath. And if you don't, if you don't figure out how to, I have felt like if I don't get control of it, then the, the loss was going to take a lot more from me. It was going to take other relationships and it, it's like, they might as well not they might as well have passed away too because if they're not a part of your life because you don't know how to like keep healthy relationships now then what else like basically you lost that too so it's more there's that initial loss and then there's what else can you try to keep from losing moving right right or if you're you know if you're in this vulnerability dynamic where it's hard to be vulnerable or whatever it might be you may not be willing to even put yourself out there in a way to to have the relationship be saved, right? You know, right. because it's like yep. I'm I'm just gonna protect myself or I'm just Which gonna It's probably more common. Yeah. Right, right. If so. you're not if you're not kind of willing and it's too bad, like like sometimes I think people feel just downright insulted if you suggest therapy. Right. And it's just so unfortunate because it's like it's for me, it's like talking is my love language. It's how I show love, wanting to talk and and letting and someone like listening to me talk that's like the best thing ever because and you're going to give me feedback <laughs> like it's just a it's almost like a, it's a privilege is right. how i see it and so it is unfortunate that it has to be seen as i think a lot of people see like working on themselves in therapy as meaning that they're at fault and so if they're if they need therapy they must have something that they're like almost they were bad at when, yeah, yeah. Right. When, when in a sense it, it's, it's really, it's the fault of the trauma. It's the fault of the grief. It's the fault of it's right. It, it's not even a fault to yeah. be honest. It's just, it's just part of being human. Right. Well, and one thing I was just going to say too, and you probably had this experience and maybe this might sound foreign to people that haven't, but like in the training we did with the MDR, they had us practice it and then we had it practice on us. So I definitely now have had experience right, yeah. with MDR full firsthand. Yeah. And cool. I thought that the one thing that was super interesting about it was when I was taken back to this memory I was working on 
was I had no idea that I'd process it the way I did. Like it just, I was like, what, like, why, why did that come out of it? You know? And you know, cause I always thought it was just more, okay, this is the trauma or this is what it is. It's pretty basic. But the fact that I had thought about it in the way that I did, or I, or I had, you know, internalized the way right. I did, just totally caught me off guard. But then you look at your life and then you, and you make sense of maybe some of the things where you've been stuck or maybe had issues. Then it's like, it all kind of comes together. I was like, Oh, that's like, <laughs> you're like, Oh right. man. It starts to make sense. It's like, yeah. It's the most liberating thing. Right. And yeah. it is. Sorry. I just have a no, toddler good. and I'm just going to off granola bar. Right. <laughs> Adam. No, it, I mean, it starts to make and you start to have reasons and then you're like, okay, it's not just me. It's not just my own like failings. It's, right. it's the fact that I'm a human and the reasons and, and this I can handle like this. I can work with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I definitely think that that's the whole thing too. One of the statements I read in the, in the EMDR book was just like, you know, it's never too late. You know, there's always room for that healing and for that ability to kind of reprocess. And so whatever point we're at, even if we feel like, you know, the trauma is 20 years behind us or whatever it is, you know, if we've never done the work on it, it's never too late. Like there's, we can do that now. We can give ourselves, you know, the next 20 years of freedom rather than just thinking like, okay, well, we're fine or whatever it might be, exactly. or we don't need to do that, yeah. you know. Um, you give it to yourselves and give it to your family too. Yeah. Like the, the things that were, that our vulnerabilities is what I had been projecting on others as well, right? Like yeah. when, once I had become aware of the things that I was personally struggling with, then I could see how I was projecting re certain things and relationships about me. And then it starts to be like, oh, and I can see how maybe this person, how that wasn't about me, how that was more about them even as well. And you can, and you can kind of start to just love and accept and understand both sides. And like the whole family, like I love there's there was just a phrase of basically like a healed person, like just blesses like however many people, because one person, one healed person in a family, it just like spreads. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I think that people start to notice the difference and they start to see it, you know, and uh, you wear it differently and you're able to also, I mean, it's also too in the way you talk, right? It's in, in the way that you're able to communicate things and share things. Uh, like you said, it's, it's infectious. So one thing I just kind of want to put out there and kind of get in and sort of more of a closing thing. I really loved what you said in your Facebook post. I know I keep referring to this, but it's at the end of your statement, you said, all I can do is as much as I can on my own and just hope and pray the rest comes together. Don't be afraid. A little self-awareness goes a long way. We all have vulnerabilities. Being aware of them just equips us to better, uh, to better to stop them from further damage, um, or further damaging our chances at peace and loving, healthy relationship. Who couldn't use a little healing? Uh, we can't de be dependent on anyone else to do it for us. So, any thoughts about that? I know you wrote that or you said that. So, I just thought that was an amazing statement and. Um, I don't know any kind of final words that you have kind of with that or that you would share with anybody that's listening or that maybe is on the fence about healing. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, and that is, if you can just like ad adjust the way of thinking and see the therapy as, as a privilege and basically a gift to yourself and to your own sense of peace. And it just is, it really is a blessing and 
definitely nothing to be ashamed of. And I just, my, I got about 50 messages after that post from people who were just like, I'm finally going to, I'm going to think of, I hope, I doubt all 50 went for it, but like just thanking me for it. And like, there's just way more people that want therapy than even don't. And like, they're for some reason, we're just the same. We're all just the same humans with the same struggle and there's nothing different or broken about, and I mean, broken could be a word. I've definitely felt broken, but that doesn't mean that, 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 yeah, it's not, that it's a shameful thing to try to like, to heal it. It's not that you need fixed, but healing is almost a better term. Yeah. The word broken and stuff definitely applies more of a negative connotation, but it's like, we all have stuff. We all have different things that, you know, we've gone through and, and part of it makes us who we are, but then also part of it, you know, limits us in our ability to, whether it's fully love or fully be present in our lives. And so trauma take more than it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the grief. Yep. So just like I said, being able to give give a gift to ourselves so that we can appreciate our lives to the fullest and just kind of be yeah. present in them and and engage in a way that I mean, because it sucks walk, walking around being triggered all the time and just kind of having yep. everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <Awesome. laughs> yeah, I'm so thankful to be at this end of things for sure. Right, right. But it's been months and months like I started therapy a year and a bit ago. So yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah, definitely not an easy quick fix or whatever, you know, but it's definitely, uh, but you know, but along the way and kind of as you're in it, you definitely get those moments, like you said, where it just things right. come, come together and then you start, start connecting to, dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, I really appreciate you coming on, Pam, and sharing your story and talking about healing and, and kind of getting through our losses. And I think your story is awesome and uh, not awesome, you know, in this. <laughs> but that you're you know. I get it. <laughs> um so anyway i hope uh people will take a listen and and if they you know are in that place like you said as far as just maybe on the fence of getting help that they take the leap because it's definitely worth it so and it goes a long way every time just to have people have good feedback to when i share too like it's so healing in return for me so so i appreciate it it's been it's been like it's been it's been like a it was nerve nerve wracking for me, but this is definitely even this podcast as well. Just another step in the healing. Yep. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Yep. You're welcome. All right. Well, I just want to thank my guest again, Pam, for coming on and to, for sharing her story. I know that wasn't easy, but it was really good and really appreciate the insights that she offered to anyone out there who is struggling with any kind of loss or really any kind of challenge in their life. Um, Just kind of the way to move through it, to be able to talk about things and open yourself up and be vulnerable. A couple of things I just want to say about some of the background of EMDR. I know we talked a lot about in the in the in the episode. And like I said, it's something that I've recently been trained on. And so if you want to ask me any questions about that or are interested in that, please contact me. Um, it's, it's probably, I, I told some other therapists today that I supervise that it was the, it's the missing piece to my practice. Um, I feel like it's going to fill in a lot of holes to where maybe some of the techniques or tools just weren't enough um, for people. And I really feel like this, this is the, the missing link and it's going to just, Uh, expand my ability to help others and to be able to help them move through their trauma and their challenges in just a more effective and inspiring way. And it's really powerful stuff. As you might have picked up in in the training that that we did, um, we had to uh, 
practice the the MDR training on somebody also and have it done to us as well. And so I really have my own experience with it and uh, the, the power that it has in, in healing and in helping us move through through our trauma. So a couple of things. One is just to kind of give you an idea. So basically what it comes down to is unprocessed memories um, are generally the basis of our negative responses, attitudes, and behaviors. And the reason is those memory, um, well, and, and part of the reason that is is because many uh, the memory connections that we have just happen automatically. And so the notion then is, is that we may not have any idea what's really running the show, meaning like how that memory actually got processed or what it in, in the way that it got processed as far as what it meant to us. That was one of the biggest things that caught me off guard is when I went back to that trauma memory and was able to get in touch with how it was processed. It really, it really shocked me. I wasn't, I didn't realize that, the things I felt about myself or the way that I processed that memory would even be the case. And so without that insight, I wouldn't have been able to move through it and, and have it reprocess in a more adaptive way. So just, again, just amazing what that was able to do. And the reason why that's so important is because when, when we have these unprocessed memories in our system, you know, when those emotions around them get triggered, they rise up, and then it just basically colors our view of our present and we're not able to deal with stuff in an effective way. The other thing about EMDR too is that basically, and this might be a little bit repetitive, but um, the basis of suffering is the way our memories of past experiences are stored in the brain. And the hope is, and not even just the hope, but there is that, 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 that can be changed. The way that we process, or the way that those memories have been processed, can be changed, and that's what adds to the relief and to the healing in our in our lives. And so, I think one of the things this book I've been reading in regards to EMDR is called "Getting Past Your Past," and it gives this example of an eighty-year-old lady who comes in for treatment, and her statement at the end is, "I feel free for the first time in my life." And the notion from there is just that it's never too late. You know, even if we've been stuck and we've had these patterns consistently embedded in our lives, that it is never too late that we can, um, no matter how imprinted those memories are in our brain, we can achieve relief for them. And like Pam and I talked about, you know, the idea of, of getting healing in your life and giving yourself that gift to go, go to therapy and to, um, work through your stuff is just an amazing gift and the freedom that will give you to enjoy your life on a much greater scale is well worth the cost, um, the effort, the time and uh, whatever you have to put in to make that healing happen. And so my hope is that this episode will nudge you in the right direction, that if there's stuff that you've been struggling with, that you will push yourself to make that next step to make a call. Um, again, I'm available for coaching and other things that I've mentioned before. So you can contact me or somebody that you know that may have a referral, but reach out if you need to. And hopefully this will be the push for you to do that. And this is the Vegas Therapist signing off until next time.